Hello and welcome everyone to Polemics Rack, the official podcast of the Diplomatic Academy's very own student magazine, Polemics. In today's episode, our guest, Professor Cornelio Biola, gives us insights on digital diplomacy, the future of physical diplomacy, and whether mere digital diplomacy is good enough. He has his background in political science and currently teaches in the field of strategic digital communication at the Diplomatic Academy of Vienna and at Oxford University. So, Mr. Biola, how can trust be formed in digital relations? I think this is a fear, especially when we saw the pandemic coming, how the diplomats moved on Zoom, to what extent, you know, human relationships that are supposed to create an environment in which trust can work, whether that can be replicated online. And the short answer uh, at the moment is that not that much. There are different theories, arguments, why trust requires in-person engagement. But the point here, I think uh, we have to realize that um, diplomacy is not only about building trust, that um, it's good to have it. And most of the time, actually, you don't have it. You engage with adversaries, with hostile parties that they don't like you anyway. Um, so one lesson that we've seen, for instance, you know, with the, the war in, U in Ukraine is that it's going to take a long, long time until diplomats are going to trust Russian diplomats anymore. Because that's the situation. So the question is, you know, should they have diplomacy? Yeah, you should have it. But uh, uh, so there is a point about in-person contacts being important to develop this kind of trusted relationship that can take you through crisis, that can take you to a situation when, you know, you need to believe what is going on. Uh, we have to remember that, you know, in the context, the digital context, uh, all kinds of things circulate online. The digital medium, it's an environment in which it's a trust destroyer. So if you have a, a stable engagement with other parties, you may be able to traverse, to go through situation when, you know, you have this kind of animosities thrown at you online. But um, digital could uh, help in a different way. Digital, um, remember, uh, trust is also coming from the way in which you work together and deliver results. Uh, so um, if you can do that online, if you can have negotiations that are successful, that you have proved to be able to deliver certain projects, I think trust is coming from that as well, in the fact that you can work together. So I, I wouldn't overlook this. This uh, Diplomacy didn't stop during the pandemic in March 2020. It actually continued. Uh, in one study that I've done, uh, I asked uh, diplomats whether the, the agreements concluded online, whether they wanted to revisit and do it afterwards in person. And they said, no, they trusted the results. So there are different aspects here. One is, you know, long-term relationship. And the other one is about using tools to deliver results. And trust may come from that as well, which digital can help. This is a really good point. It's proven that it is efficient so far. And uh, of course, a question arises there, and you've, you've touched upon it. Online environment is still quite fragile in terms of security, which can be hard to be compatible with high-level confidentiality. How do you keep online talks confidential? Oh, it's over. It's over. So I keep telling that, you know, those who are still in diplomacy still dream that they can have confidential information, uh, engagement uh, that will never be disclosed. They are fooling themselves. We live in the digital age. 
you should start talking with the others, knowing, presuming that this information will be disclosed later. Even if you do it now in closed space, you never know whether that type of information will be revealed tomorrow or in a week. So the safe assumption is that this information, this conversation that you have, is going to be revealed at some point, sooner rather than later. So it's not going to happen. But what the issue is with, with the digital is that there are two things. One is with disinformation, that it creates a situation in which things that never happened are presented as true. And then you have to deal with that type of damage and to disputes. And this is not something that is likely to decrease in intensity. I think with AI and all these kind of new tools, uh, the, the possibility of creating fake situation in which apparently diplomats discusses something that they didn't discuss exactly because there is a geopolitical point to be extracted from that. So that's one point. There's information and how to handle situation that actually they are fake and presented as true under this umbrella. Confidential information has been revealed. The other thing with the digital is that it goes to the question of, uh, of the safety, of the cybersecurity of the tools that you use. And we know now your phone is not safe, right? Your phone is not safe. Your Zoom is not safe. Your metaverse is not going to be safe. What you can, um, to a certain extent, you know, protect yourself is um, be careful, you know, how, uh, what kind of, uh, of engagement uh, and what kind of security you, you apply, the security protocols. I think we, we learned a little bit to live with a little bit of risk as opposed to probably 30, 40 years ago, when the discussion and the documents were carried in a different way. And I think this tolerance of risk varies uh, a lot. Some of them, they will get more obsessed about having 100% security, which is not going to happen. But at the same time, you don't want to be too lax in order to be, you know, to handle issues, you know, in a very... But the core issue of whether confidentiality is still possible in the digital age, my answer is no. It's over uh, and you have to adapt to these new conditions. A lot of these talks about digital diplomacy have two key words, innovation and disruption. Who brings those innovations and disruptions more to the table? Is it the older professionals who see an opportunity to enhance their traditional ways? Or is it the young professionals or even students just like us focusing on these topics from the very beginning of their career to bring innovation and disruption? If you look who's bringing, who's creating innovation now, look at the, 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 all these tech companies are run by 20, 30 years old. You know, they, they, they do a lot of stuff, but these are tech companies in the business, in the industry. Of course, you know, those who actually stop up with the crazy ideas with thinking outside the box are, are these entrepreneurs. But entrepreneurship and diplomacy, they don't necessarily come well together. Ministry of Foreign Affairs, you know, are old institutions and they don't necessarily like change they and this is not something bad inherently bad with don't liking change because you don't want to change uh, for anything that is fancy now you need to see whether that change is uh, uh, sustainable that is real and then you adapt now having said that um, i think there is a question here about how ministry of foreign affairs adapt to the new circumstances I talk in, a, in another book, there are different ways of disruptions. So one disruption comes from above. What I mean by that, you have a leader, like Carl Bildt, or, you know, Kuleba, let's say in the case of Ukraine, and tells you, hey, 
you need to get your act together, you need to go digital, you need it. If you don't, you are out. So you can't put that kind of pressure from the top down. And both of them, Carl Bild and Kuleba at that time, are quite, quite uh, young, right? I mean, when they took over and they create this kind of change. Another type of disruption comes actually from below. From below in the sense that you have this kind of tools that diplomats use privately in their private life, like WhatsApp, for instance, to coordinate their vacation plans with their family or, you know, private things. And they, they import those kind of tools in their professional life. WhatsApp has become an interesting tool of coordinating the UN, partly because, you know, senior or younger generation, you know, started to use that, you know, in a different. So you have this kind of disruption from below. Another type of disruption that they say is when it comes from a side. What do I mean a side? Is that uh, you see these kind of companies uh, that are creating something interesting. The metaverse is an interesting case, right? You have Meta outside the Ministry of Foreign Affairs. Is Meta, the company, Facebook, producing this kind of stuff. And the others are seeing, you know, maybe there is an opportunity there. So UAE, Saudi Arabia started to develop their own metaverses for public diplomacy. So they started to import a little bit of things that they didn't create, but they imported. So there is pressure from a side in the sense that there is some uh, incentive, uh, political or economic. But there is another type of disruption, which I think it's also important. It's disruption through emulation. You look around and see what are the Ministry of Foreign Affairs do. Right, And you don't want to create an image of a loser, that you basically are stuck in the Middle Ages, you know, you don't want to advance and so on. So that kind of diffusion, disruption by diffusion, when you look around, you see different institutions, how they operate, and you want to borrow their techniques and their practices, because you want to be as good as them. So this kind of adaptation, I think in the European context, in European context works even better because you have this kind of organization, you, in which all the members are connected and they can see who is doing well and this this diffusion. And the fifth one, which I mentioned in this article of mine, is disruption by crisis. A crisis is the mother of all innovations. We see that with the pandemic and not only. You are forced to adapt. What would you do in March 2020? Close Ministry of Foreign Affairs or international organization and go uh, stay there? No, you have to continue. How do you continue? Luckily, we had Zoom and Skype and Teams and others. But imagine 10, 10, 15 years before, had the pandemic in 2000 or 90s when there was no internet, how things would have been totally different at that time. How will you react to that? Anyway, crises are always, crises like the pandemic, crises like a war, you know, how Ukraine adapted to use digital technologies basically to maintain the support for that and to narrate the story in a way that it's actually helpful. And it was not easy. So there are different forms of disruption. Uh, So I wouldn't put necessarily everything on the generation stuff but uh, more on the source of disruption, what is coming. And there is no, re- no single recipe for that. Uh, Bill did it in his own way, Kuleba, different way. Uh, so it, it very much depends on the context that it exists. Thank you for this very detailed and structured answer, diving deep into the types of disruption and digital diplomacy. 
it kind of connects to my next question. What do digital diplomats need in order to be properly equipped for their tasks? Um, perhaps you could give us a brief explanation of what is a digital diplomat? So a digital diplomat is the one that uses uh, what they say or leverage uh, digital technology in support of certain foreign policy goals. So it still does diplomacy like you know it used to do before, but now engages, uses digital diplomacy to uh, advance its foreign policy goal. So that is one big pillar of the definition of the digital diplomat that existed probably in, and probably the dominant one, it continues to be dominant, how they leverage the use of digital technology. What we have more recent is that in the, um, the scope of work of the digital diplomat, there's another area. And another area is about uh, how in which, you know, digital technology have also become object, not only an instrument, a tool, but also object of digital negotiations. So, for instance, data. Data. Nobody negotiated data agreements 15 years ago. Now, data agreements about how data is collected, stored, and transferred across jurisdiction, that has become a subject of digital negotiation. That's also an attribute now for digital diplomats. So it's not only about how to use social media or other technology, AI, for instance, or the metaverse to project certain and support certain foreign policy, but this technology has become actually subject of uh, engagement. Digital diplomat now has to reflect also on the, the power imbalances that digital technologies create in the international system, which is now called tech geopolitics. So you have three different elements, you know, leverage tools, negotiating things that didn't exist before, and also engaging in the role of uh, making sense of the of the uh, how, how this digital and uh, affect uh, the geopolitical landscape and how to react to that. So it's a big uh, scape. The first one remains dominant, but the other things uh, to um, uh, come uh, come to the fore. Um, now, in terms of skills, what kind of skills? Well, I think this is something interesting about diplomacy because well, in order to understand the skills, we understand the medium. And what do you know about the digital medium? We know that it's is, is moving fast, right? It's this kind of transformation, if it comes to, we talk about data agreements, about digital diplomacy, even things that 10, 15 years ago didn't exist. We talk about metaverse, five years ago didn't exist about that. So there is a question about speed of the medium that we have to keep in mind. Okay, so that's one speed. What else we have to? We understand that, you know, the whole thing about digital comes down to the issue of data. Data that is being produced, that is being generated, data that is being analyzed through algorithms, data that is being made into products that you can use. So you also need to know something about everything that relates to data. Uh, and the third thing, which I think it's also important to look at, is that um, it's a very competitive medium. Competitive meaning that is not only you roaming around as a digital diplomat doing stuff, but next to you there are the digital diplomats. Uh, there are other organizations 
Ministry of Foreign Affairs is one, and the connection with other international organizations. Private actors also play a big role. Uh, Microsoft, for instance, it's uh, the one that actually started discussion about Digital Geneva Convention, not a state, trying to bring states together. So what I'm saying is that the digital medium is also very competitive, and because it's very competitive, that means you need also to become a little bit more unconventional. Uh, so when I think about skills, you have to understand to master a good understanding of how what data means in this context. You have to be agile, agile because of the speed of the transformation. You need to adapt fast. And when I talk about the competition of the media, you need to, to be creative. You need to think outside the box. That's a little high toll. You know, diplomats, you may say, well, you know, yeah, traditionally they try to negotiate certain things in very complicated situation. And they traditionally very historic. Think about the Congress of Vienna or, you know, how they uh, put, the, put an end to the Napoleonic Wars or, you know, the UN Convention in uh, San Francisco. So it's not that they, they cannot do it, but I think you have to do it now faster with a different type of attention, you know, the question of data and also you know, to be more creative. How to improve these skills, you know, that's, that's uh, how to, uh, to, to, to educate people being more creative, you know. That's exactly what I wanted to reference next. Thanks to your expertise, you're often invited to lecture in institutions such as international organizations or ministries. What is it that these organizations seek to get from you? Is it mere education or practical skills or perhaps guidelines? So basically, how is it any different from your lectures at universities? No, oh, that's, that's very extremely useful for me. When I started to engage with Mr. Foreign Affairs, international organizations, because you can see the people working. It's one thing to talk about things, as we do in academia. You stay there, you study, you have your data, your empirical analysis, and then you publish stuff. And one reason that they started doing, because the digital moves very fast, and I wanted to keep an eye on the ground and see what is going on. So this is uh, when I started with my students initially in London. We had this kind of group going through different embassies, giving talks, but also absorbing questions and so on. Um, so I think because they experiment, the digital, it's about experimentation, and they have the opportunity to experiment. Some of them doing better than others. And for me, this is gold. This is gold because, you know, I can see things unfolding before my eyes. So from this point of view, I think it's, 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 a, it's a mutually um, a beneficial uh, relationship. Uh, I learned something about uh, how things are, what kind of new trends, who is leading, why, how they managed to break through these kind of obstacles, you know, uh, and recover. But at the same time, when I uh, gather this, I can write stuff, I can systematize, which they find it then useful. Of course, there is a difference between the academia and practitioners, and navigating between these two worlds is interesting, because uh, practitioners are always interested in short-term results, uh, something that's acceptable, something that it can be um, uh, more policy-oriented. Uh, and I think you know, this, is, this is good. But they also give you a sense of uh, being part of the transformation, not only as an ac uh, academic, as someone who writes about stuff, but also having some of the things that you write being adopted and introduced in the working routines of some of the ministries. So I found that particularly rewarding in terms of you know, engagement. But 
I learn from them because they experiment. I also give back in terms of the type of things that I think there might be, and I see that reflected in their work routines. And now there's a new link between those two worlds you've described. The Diplomatic Academy is introducing the new postgraduate degree, Digital International Affairs, as of the upcoming trimester. What do you think the very first generation of DAA masters can expect from their postgraduate program? And perhaps in return, what do you think can relevant institutions expect of future DAA alumni in comparison to students of other programs? What they've done, the academy has done something amazing because they introduced a new master, which is Master in Digital International Relations. Digital diplomacy is going to be one course in, in this new master. But the, uh, the ambition there is to look at the role of technology in a broader sense, at the role that plays in international relations. So my digital diplomacy is more connected to foreign policy, more connected to diplomacy. The digital international relations is going to take a broader picture, a broader view, perspective. Is going to look at the role of technology in traditional areas of, you know, conflict, for instance, or, you know, sustainable development, environment, or global governance. So I think it's the right time to do this. Professor Kompros is going to have a book exactly on this digital international relations coming out in, uh, I hope, September or October, which looks at digital international relations. Exactly. So the point we're trying to make in the book is the following, is that, look, technology is not that technology is something new internationally. It's been there in various ways. Nuclear weapons, for instance, has been discussed a long time. What we are saying is that digital international relations has been, uh, international relations has looked at uh, a technology more like uh, this kind of isolated element that it's used there, it matters to look at, but most of the international relations is non technological. Uh, we are saying uh, something else. We are saying that technology has permeated every single thing and we have to, to reflect on that uh, and to uh, understand better, you know, uh, how international relations is changing from inside out uh, as a field, as a practice, uh, and uh, there is plenty to show about this. It's not only about communication, it's going to be about uh, negotiations in general, it's about, you know, Look at the conflicts, right? The conflict nowadays, whether it's Ukraine or other countries, there is a huge digital component. Um, Ukraine mentioned, for instance, digital sanctions. First time it was mentioned, basically, in a conflict. The hybrid warfare, algorithmic warfare. Algorithmic warfare. Who talked about algorithmic warfare you know, a few years ago? And now you have Palantir operating something uh, along these lines in Ukraine. So conflict has become, the, the, the hybrid aspect is already passé in the sense that you have this kind of disinformation or information war in France campaigns that are associated with the military campaign. So this kind of integration of the technology with every single aspect of international relations, this is what the master is trying to offer. And I think it offers students a competitive advantage. And the others probably will try to emulate uh, this, uh, this idea uh, and not treat technology more like Cinderella uh, of EIR because it's becoming actually, you know, it's a dominant um, direction. Thank you, Mr. Piola, for taking the time for offering us some insights on digital diplomacy and your take on the DIA, the new program of the Diplomatic Academy. In tradition of Polemics Rec, I'd like to ask you some blitz questions to top off today's talk. So, Zoom diplomacy or in-person summit? Hybrid. Twitter thread or TikTok format? LinkedIn. 
lecturing students or training foreign ministry staff? Not both, let's see. AI or the metaverse? Metaverse, I'll go with metaverse. This was Judith Bauer with Polemics Rec speaking to Cornelio Biola about his take on digital diplomacy. Share this episode, subscribe to the podcast and tune into Polemics Rec the next time again. <laughs>